Hello and welcome back to another edition. We are in Luke chapter 6. I hope you are enjoying the journey. I know that I am. Uh, Here we are, Luke chapter 6. We're going to get going. I hope that you have uh, read the chapter going into today. Hey, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking this time uh, to spend it with me, to uh, be an encouragement to one another, and uh, to just share the the joy of Jesus. Because I know it's not easy, is it? There's so much uh, to do, so many things on our plates. It's really easy to get caught up, especially during this time of year. But you're taking a moment, you're taking time to spend it with the Lord, devotion and prayer. That's tough. Like I said, there's a lot to do. What are some things that you have to do? What are some of the jobs that you have right now? There's a lot, aren't there? And I can't even pretend to guess that I would know what those would be. I don't even know who's listening. If anybody's listening... But my guess is you have a lot of responsibilities. Work, there are jobs that you have to do at work, different jobs to do, different tasks. Some of you parents, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, those are, those are tasks, those are vocations, right? The Lord has called you to those positions, hasn't he? Aunts and uncles, those are relational uh, tasks, vocations that you have to do, callings that God has, has placed you in. And we wouldn't change those for anything, right? We love them. Uh, you're called to be in your church, right? Those are some things that you do. You're at your congregations. You worship. You go to Bible study. I hope you go to church and go to Bible study. You're a kind neighbor, right? You have tasks that you have to do to get ready for Christmas, get all your... Your presents in order, get all the stocking stuffers and make sure you get the right gift cards to the right people and hope that you don't forget anybody. Grab a few extra just in case. Feel free to send one to me while you're at it. I'm just kidding. I have more than I need. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Things that we have to do, but maybe that's not how we need to look at it. Have to do. How about things that we just, well, do? get to do, to be a part of God's kingdom. Well, the first thing we find in chapter six is that Jesus is entering a Sabbath controversy. And this isn't going to be the only controversy. And Luke certainly isn't the only gospel that talks about the Sabbath controversy. Um, But kind of understanding these Sabbath controversies, it really gets boiled down to this. People see Jesus doing work on the Sabbath, mainly the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and from their understanding of how the Sabbath is supposed to be kept or observed, is that you're not supposed to do anything, anything that could be classified as work. If you're doing work, that's a big no-no. It's restricting you from doing anything on the Sabbath. But Jesus is going to give us a really a different way of looking at the Sabbath and understanding what the Sabbath uh, was intentionally supposed to be for us. Jesus responds because he and the disciples happen to be wandering through a grain field. And some of the disciples are plucking heads of the grain, rubbing them off with their hands and eating it. Which, by the way, this is not stealing. This was not forbidden. If you read the Old Testament and the laws, it say if you're wandering through a grain field or uh, any other kind of uh, place like this, as long as you're not bringing tools or equipment basically to rob the farmer, You're allowed to do this. You can take some for yourself. Take some in your hand and eat it. Don't put it in pouches, right? You're not saving some for later. It's to sustain you while you're going from place to place. It's just kind of being a good neighbor. 
Your neighbors sustain you. You're sustaining them. That's not the problem. That's not the problem that uh, the Pharisees are going to be having with Jesus. The problem is that they're doing work. You think, well, what work? No, they're not. They're just taking some stuff off the nuts. Yeah, that's right. But that should have been done beforehand. That's what the Pharisees would say. This should have happened. You should have taken the outer shells off before the Sabbath. You didn't. That means now you're doing work on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. So Jesus is going to have a little bit of a conversation with them. Don't you know the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath? And this gets challenged again when a man with a withered hand comes into the synagogue. And as he comes in, it says that the Pharisees are watching him. They're watching him. The scribes are too, watching to see what Jesus is going to do. They don't say anything. They just watch because they want to capture him. They want to catch him, right? Doing something that he's not supposed to do, that he should know better than doing, breaking this custom that they have. But he knew their thoughts. That's what the scripture says. He, he knew their thoughts. And he said to the withered, the man with the withered hand, come, stand here. And he rose and stood next to Jesus. Then Jesus said the words, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now, really in hearing these words, most people might have said, well, neither, because you can't do anything on the Sabbath, but not so. Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. His hand was restored, but it says that they were all filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Because you see, this just didn't fit their mold. It didn't make sense to them. This isn't what you do. And an individual that's called a rabbi should know better than to do things like this. But listen to what uh, is said in John, John chapter 5, where we have a similar controversy. But Jesus finishes with these words. My father is working until now, and I am working. You see, Jesus wasn't going to stop working. People needed his help, and he was going to help. Because the whole idea is what? The Sabbath, yes, was created for man so that they wouldn't work and work and work and work. In fact, I'm going to turn back here now to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we see uh, the, the commandments being displayed. But, but listen as to, to why. There's an explanation here. It says in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath, right? And talking about salvation, they needed to remember that they were freed so they wouldn't be enslaved and also enslave somebody else. So all these parameters now have been put around the Sabbath to make sure that people didn't uh, disrespect it. Therefore, it got to this extreme thing where you couldn't do anything, lift a finger in a certain way. Otherwise, you would be breaking it. But Jesus is what? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He works too. Now, to go the other way, what do we do on the Sabbath? What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Now, I'm sorry if I'm going to be stepping on some toes here. 
Because a lot of people are hearing this and thinking, yes, see, I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. And fine, you certainly can worship God in a variety of places. But where did Jesus go on the Sabbath? He was what? He He was in the synagogue. He was worshiping God. He didn't pass up the opportunity to be in the fellowship of the believers. He was, he was worshiping the Father. He was leading. He was teaching. That's where he was to be found. He wasn't isolated. He wasn't by himself in some field. He wasn't worshiping God on his own. He was part of the fellowship. And that's where we should be too, right? Because that's where we get our strength. Together, worshiping. No, it doesn't mean that we can't help our neighbor cross the street. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we can't um, go out and rake leaves. It doesn't mean that we can't help a friend. It doesn't mean that at all. But we are to look at it as what? A day of rest, a day of worship, a day that we honor God. Well, Jesus moves on, and so shall we. Uh, he's going to uh, claim the disciples. We find that in Luke chapter 6. He goes and picks his disciples Uh, chooses them, they become his learners, and then he's going to start teaching. Luke is going to really uh, give us a little bit of a break from the actual story or or narrative uh, kind of situations. Uh, And now we're going to get into Jesus' teachings, where we will hear what it means to, to really be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, to summarize what Jesus is saying in this particular text, I'm just going to read the titles, and we'll come back to a couple of them. But uh, it's the Beatitudes, the blessings and the curses, the woes, loving your enemies, uh, judging others, a tree that bears fruit. But I want to get to the end because I think then we can uh, better understand what he's trying to say in some of these sections here. Where Jesus is talking about those who build their house upon a rock or a solid foundation, and doing so, when the waters rise... The house will remain, but if they don't have that solid foundation, it's going to fall. And really the question then is for the listener, what is your foundation? What is it you're thinking about? What is it you're hearing? What is your foundation in life? If your foundation is me and my words, then you're going to be good. But if the foundation is not me and my words, then what are you going to have to stand on? So I think it's with this kind of lens that's in front of us, we should be using that lens to see what Jesus has to say. And that's where we have these beatitudes where there's a blessing, but along with it is a woe. And so I'm actually going to read them that way. Now in Luke's uh, actual gospel, he says all the blessings and then he says the woes, but I'm going to read them kind of back and forth. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. It's it's present. You possess it when you're poor, Uh, but woe to those who are rich for you have received your consolation. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, uh, so their fathers did to the false prophets. So you kind of see, get a, get a feeling for, for what is going on here. And in Matthew's commentary, it expands it a little bit to give it a little bit more of a spiritual nature, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I really like some of the comments that Dr. Arthur A. Just said in his commentary uh, when he says, you know, maybe it's not a, a in either or. Is it a spiritual or is it a physical? But really, maybe it's both. For those who are hungering uh, spiritually, they do have satisfaction in Christ. Or for those who just hunger, guess what? In Jesus, they have the kingdom of God that goes on eternally and we will never hunger. 
Um, and the same for us who are poor, who are without. Spiritually, yes, we have the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus who comes for people who are poor in spirit. He, he fills us. But even for those of us who are just poor in general, we have the wealth of the kingdom of God that's eternal as well. So it's really both the physical and the spiritual. He, he comes and he satisfies both. Now, does that mean that those who really are rich and wealthy, that they will not be a part of the kingdom of God? Well, I think we have the rest of the scriptures that, that really talk a little bit more about this. No, it's not money. It's the love of money, right? The way that we get these gains and, and what is it that we're trusting in? So we got to look at the whole scripture in its entirety. But that's the idea, though, is that we have this great reversal. We're on this earth, it seems like uh, the people that have everything continue to acquire more, but that's not what the kingdom of God is like. The one who is least is the one who is greatest. And so again, I think if we look at Dr. Just's commentaries, he's kind of mentioning that the first disciples who are hearing this and hearing Luke's words, the apostles as they hear Luke's words, they probably can look past themselves and see that really we're talking about Jesus here. He's the one who was poor. He gave up everything. Uh, he was hungering, wasn't he? Blessed are those who, who weep, and, and he would weep. Blessed are those who are really persecuted for righteousness' sake, and that certainly would be Jesus, right? Jesus would lead the way. He would become last. He, he chose for himself to be last, and thus he was firstborn among all creation. But see, that gives hope for, for us too when we mourn, when we are hurting, when we are poor in spirit with nothing to offer because we know that in Jesus, we have absolutely everything. And that allows for us to be able to what? To love our enemies as well as praying for those who persecute us. Yeah, I understand. That's hard to do. There are people that have seriously hurt us. But when we see what Jesus was able to do for us, I mean, when you really consider that, how we were the worst of the worst sinners, how we were absolutely enemies of God. We couldn't do anything good on our own. Now with sin, our nature is to do evil. Yet Jesus chose to put all of that aside and really to bear that on himself. That's why he went to the cross. Jesus knew every single sin, countless sins. And he loved us anyway. See, that's what the kingdom of God is about. And that's what allows for us, you and I, in whatever vocation we're in, whatever we're called to do, whether we're garbage men, whether we're pastors, whether we're teachers, maybe we're unemployed, stay-at-home moms, work in the military, who knows what we do? We love our neighbors as ourselves. We love people, just as Jesus did. Now, here's the thing. We get to this point about judging others. And, and yes, it's absolutely true, right? Who are we to condemn another individual, to send them off into hell? It's not really our job. But see, that doesn't mean that we ignore sin. See, oftentimes when people read this passage that talks about judging others, that means we can't call sin what, what it is, which is sin. Now, of course, I'm not going to find some people on the street and say, hey, you're a sinner, right? And notify them of the things that they've done wrong. That's not really what this is saying. But as I'm teaching my child what it means to be a child of God, and he asks you know, about individuals doing certain things, am I going to say that it's good behavior? Am I going to say, well, you know, 
I'm not called to judge anybody, so I'm not going to say if it's good or bad. No, I'm, I'm going to tell my son. We don't hit somebody. Sexually speaking, I'm going to tell my child about sexual purity and, and how God designed us. I'm not going to pretend that sexual immorality doesn't exist or say that it's, it's not a real thing just because I might offend somebody. No, God designed us specifically for, for certain ways. I'm not going to ignore that. Am I going to condemn somebody for how they live? No. But I'm not going to ignore it either. Right? A sin is sin. If someone comes to me and asks me about what I think about a particular issue in their life, well, yeah, it's my job as a pastor, sure, to say, look, this is what God's word says. Judging means I'm, I'm not going to send them into hell. I'm not going to say they're going to hell for doing a certain thing. My job isn't to go throughout this country sending people to hell. But at the same time, my job is to what? Teach the scriptures. Teach what the word says. If the word says it's a sin, then it's a sin. And I'll say that, unashamedly so. That's what it means by judging, right? Yes, the famous phrase, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Sure, right? We still love all people. We actually care about them. We want them to know the truth of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we ignore sin, right? That's what that text is really saying. So let's not use that out of context. So we get to the end of it, and really we've well surpassed our time. A lot of teaching here um, from what uh, Jesus is, is giving us. And I think it's really just that. Whatever our vocation is, whatever we're doing, whatever God has called us to do, we hear his words. Like a, a man who built his house upon a, a rock, a, a solid foundation. As we heed Jesus' words, we know we're going to have a good foundation. matter what, the world around us does. We follow Jesus. And even though we don't do it perfectly, he already did. See, we put our faith in him no matter what. Wow. That's a pretty good solid foundation. When the one that is divine, who is Lord of the Sabbath, comes and lays down his life for us, but is raised from the grave to give us life. Mm. Yeah. Thanks be to Jesus that he comes for sinners like us and gives us that fantastic foundation. All right, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Luke chapter 7.